You're now listening to the Limerick Post News Roundup. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt. This is where we bring you Limerick's news in bite-sized portions. As always, you can keep up to date on all Limerick news on limerickpost.ie or following the hashtag KeepingLimerickPosted on all social media. This week's episode is brought to you in association with Limerick and District Credit Union. For all your lending needs, call today on 061-455-831. Limerick and District Credit Union is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. And now joined in the studio by Joanna Leahy. Joanna, how are you getting on? I'm good, Kian. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Good. Thanks for asking. You're the only person that asks. Am I the yeah, only person are. that asks? But well, I'm interested <laughs> to know the answer. Joanna, I see you have a story in this week's paper in reply to a story from last week about yes, gender equality gender, in elections. Yes, yeah. in, the elect- in the local elections upcoming. Yes, we had a front page story and the headline of which was Women Shy Away from Local Elections, which um, I wanted to react to as I felt it was not a very nice headline for women in politics and women thinking about going into politics, be it local elections or government level. Um, I think that politics should be based on merit and not by gender. Um, So I decided to have a word with our head of news and he kindly let me put an article into this week's paper about it and my opinion of it. So the figures from last week, I think it was one in five election candidates are female. Yeah, one in five election candidates this time around are female, which I know isn't a fantastic figure, but, you know, 2011, it was one in eight. So we are getting there. Supports for female candidates have only started coming online in the last number of years, be it 10, 15 years, and we are, are growing slowly. Um, it should obviously be much higher. It should be a 50-50 ratio in an ideal world, but unfortunately the ideal isn't there yet. My point was the norm takes a while to change, so the norm hasn't hit 50-50 yet. The norm was 100% men, 0% women 20, 30 years ago, and now we're 20, 25% nationally at the moment, which is, is a good thing, I think, and that's why I didn't like the the negative connotation on 20% women, it should, I thought, have been a positive one and let's keep pushing it forward. So there is a growth there, but the figures are Absolutely. still low. The figures are still low. It is a lot to do with antisocial hours. Um, obviously, people going into politics, be young, old, having children or having your own business is obviously a hindrance if, if you... Well, having your own business actually sometimes is a positive because you can work your own hours. But if you have to go to council meetings and things a lot of them in the evenings a lot of them go on for hours at end and people like myself who work nine to five it's a difficult thing to do and manage both so maybe the government need to look at organizing timing of these things for to suit men and women that was my point we need to suit everyone across the board so we get all ages all genders all nationalities in politics now and let's not start targeting women let's target everybody thanks very much for joining us thank you and thank you for having me Keen. it's lovely to be here first time Hopefully Thanks we'll have you back again if there's a, another article. If I'm allowed paper. back yeah. in. Thanks a million, Kian. Take <laughs> care. Thank you. Joining me in studio now is journalist Bernie English. Uh, Bernie has written the original piece, which Joanna was just speaking about. And uh, Bernie, the figures are still low, is what you believe. They are still low. In some ways, myself and Joanna agree on many things. Um, definitely that we should still consi- we should still be encouraging more women to go into politics. And... After that article last week, I spoke to some of the women, young women who are dropping out of politics this time, people who were elected, uh, one of them with a huge majority last time around. And what I'm hearing from all of them is it's not the gender thing. It's not the quota thing. They don't want to see quotas by and large. What they do want to see is a change in focus because women do have a different focus at a certain age. And it's the age they usually end up going into politics and starting their careers. So they're trying to, to juggle a career career. Uh, a career in politics, 
and they're trying to think about maybe starting a family, buying a house. All of these things are considerations, very solid considerations for everybody, but particularly for women. And what they feel is that there just isn't enough organisation, flexibility. There just isn't uh, any attempt really to address particularly the needs of younger people going into politics. Older people who are established in their careers or indeed, as Joanne pointed out, have their own business can actually get that little bit of flexibility. If they're working, if they're working, if they're civil servants, they can also get flexibility, obviously. But for these young people and for these young women starting out, they're facing both a glass ceiling and their own difficulties in trying to set, up, set themselves up in, in their own lives. And this is very discouraging for them, they've said, to a woman. And, and do you still see it as women showing away from politics? I do, Keen. Um, now, I've also sort of had a little bit of an eye-opener that young men are showing away from politics for many of the same reasons. They don't obviously have the biological reasons that women have for doing a second take. Um, but it's very, very difficult because they're not paid a lot of money. People might think, oh God, we're paying our councillors that huge amount of money and sure haven't they jobs as well. But to be a councillor is really a full-time job. At one of the meetings, one of the area meetings alone last week, we attended the last one, and one of the officials read out a list of the number of meetings they'd attended. And there was something like 125 before they even started going to, you know, school openings and local events and fairs and marts and agricultural shows. So it really is a full-time job. And I think it has to be said at this point, if we want this kind of representation, we better think about two things, one of them paying paying, paying them for it, and secondly, making it a little bit more family-friendly and a little better organised. We're not using technology, for instance. Why can't we have distance meetings for, for small small committees? Why, do, why does every councillor have to attend every meeting? It doesn't make sense. And uh, as Joanna pointed out, the, the figures have increased. In, they in have, the and that's encouraging, I and agree. Is that a reflection of the leniency of government or the, the help? No, I think provided? it's a reflection of the ter- determination of women to get in there and do the job. Um, I don't think they've had any particular help from any quarter to address the issues that, that are facing them, as young men too have not had any, any, any help to address the issues that are stopping them in their tracks in politics. And it's a terrible shame because we need a broad spectrum of people and we need more women in there, there's no question about it. Joanna's right, situation is improving. I think I'd like to see it improve a lot more and I'd like to see the issues, the lifestyle issues addressed that will allow young women and all young talent to get involved in politics. And uh, I think Joanna made a point as well of being on a merit, and I think that's thing you both agree on is that it should be on merit and not just on. Gender. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think any woman should take a seat anywhere in our uh, system of government simply because she's a woman, and I don't think any women want that. Yeah, Bernie, thanks very much for joining thanks, us. Thanks, Have a good weekend. You too. I'll try my best. Once again, this week's podcast is brought to you by Limerick and District Credit Union. At Limerick District and Credit Union, you're not a customer, you're a member. And that means you own the credit union. What a great feeling to have. Limerick and District Credit Union is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Joining me in studio now is host of the Limerick Post Show, Megan Scully. Megan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm not too bad. How are you getting on? Really good. Absolutely roasting. The weather's fabulous. We should be out there now. I think as soon as we finish this, straight out and get a bit of some tan. Well, we were out today, but we weren't enjoying it. We were working. (laughs) We were. were. We'll enjoy it now after this. So uh, the show that was recorded today, 
this Thursday today this podcast goes out but uh, yesterday's show was about uh, Munster Rugby yes it was a Munster Rugby special I chatted to Raf um, from Sporting Limerick all about the big game this weekend it's the Pro 14 semi-final against Leinster and it's happening up in Dublin in the RDS I'm travelling up myself um, but I'm really excited to do something like that because you know I think Munster is kind of at the heart of Limerick City as well so uh, hopefully not the last rugby show this season fingers and toes crossed all the prayers being said candles <laughs> being lit and everything but I uh, have to say I thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, it was lovely to be in Jerry Flannery's which obviously is an iconic rugby pub in Limerick and uh, what did Raf think their chances were this weekend yeah I think you know he knows that it's not going to be any easy thing at all and he's like never he, it is against Leinster is no it? no it isn't and I think I think everyone knows that Munster are the ones that are going to have to work hard in this game um, Leinster obviously have quite a reputation and everyone knows how good they are like they are one of the top teams in Europe um, and if not the second after Saracens so Munster really have it up like have their work cut out for them but uh, you know what I kind of think Munster have been putting a little bit extra prep Um, they haven't had I said they haven't had more time to prepare for this game so hopefully that will uh, be evident on the pitch on Saturday and Megan this is week three of you being the post and you're not on the front page this week I'm but not. you have you have your name in the paper oh I thought I was Close to it, I think. Oh, yeah. that's disappointing. But sure, look, that'll be my aim. I'll get back on the paper yeah. next week. Do you know what? Though? I did get a Snapchat today being like, is there anywhere like you aren't? Can I get away from you at all? I'm like, yeah, sorry about that. And one place you were was darkness into light on Saturday. Yes. So I set my alarm for half past two and I get up and I actually made a cup of tea. And Lovely. my friends and I walked from... With milk or without milk? Hmm? With milk or without milk? Oat milk. Oat milk. Oh. Yeah, because oh. I don't drink oat milk, no. in case you didn't know. And <laughs> that's a lie, I drink oat milk. And then I uh, walked, we all walked out to Thoman Park and I got to chat to Johnny Toher of Pieta House and the crowds when even we got there and it was lovely to see because as we walked from Limerick City in out to the event alone, there was loads of people walking. So I think a lot of us, you know, put, put in the extra kilometres to get out there and I think that was nice to see and, and after as well, obviously walking home and it was the 10th darkness into light in Limerick, which I think is absolutely incredible and there was thousands of people at Thoman Park. So just really good atmosphere there was music and you know there's just something really lovely about it all and I was chatting to Johnny as I said from Pieta House and he just said how that is their flagship uh, fundraiser and it's so vital to the services that uh, Pieta House put out for people and uh, I just have to say it was incredible and it was just so lovely and there was loads of dogs which I, know, I met you at Toman Bridge with Breezy he, yeah. wasn't, he wasn't too happy being out at four in the morning but um, no he looked really unimpressed obviously he no he did have his jacket on him lovely jacket he, yeah. was, he was warmer than I was I think, yeah. <laughs> but what did you think of the crowds oh incredible and um, we there was a few of us together so we were having a lovely chat like we were all in great form I think because everyone even though we were all wrecked tired we were, it was just something lovely about it I think that's nice that there's not a competitive nature it's people getting together for a chat and having a walk yeah well the first time I did it I ran because I'm being competitive and then this time I was like okay I'll try yeah, I'll run it again and then everyone's like no the whole point is to walk because by the time you arrive back to the destination it's bright and when you run it's still dark and I, I was like oh yeah that's true so we did walk and then the third kilometre is when you're meant to reflect and reflect on everything and then the fourth kilometre is the silent kilometre where you're meant to stay quiet um, but it was kind of hard because everyone at this stage was having such lovely conversations it was hard to stay quiet and then um, it was brilliant long way like Jack Mondays and um, had opened up its doors so as you're walking by they like like bacon and, and bagels and coffees and everything it was just lovely I was set up just outside it yeah. wasn't I yeah <laughs> Smell. I was wondering why I was so hungry we going home. We across the bridge. We're like, what's it? Bacon. We smell bacon. We smell bacon. Um, <laughs> but it was brilliant. It was such a good idea though. And I don't want so many people stopped by and then loads of people came back to it again afterwards and um, because it was just it was so great. Because like we finished the walk and we were all like, we were buzzing and we're like, right, let's go for food. And you know, we were all just walking around trying to find places. It was, it was brilliant. And yeah, the atmosphere, everything about it was just really special. And I think the whole thing is obviously is walking from darkness into light with people who are suffering. And I think, you know, that was, that was just for me is just like so magical and so special. And uh, Megan, what can people expect in the next few shows? What's coming up? 
Well, we're going to be heading over to the um, fashion students in Limerick and we're going to uh, see what they have got to showcase. Um, and yeah, there's a few exciting things in the pipeline next week. I was very busy, by the way, uh, just to let you know. Thank you. We're very busy. We have a lot on. We are literally all over Limerick. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, it's good though. It's all good fun and uh, loads of entertaining things coming up. And I think the whole aim of the show is to shine a positive light on Limerick City and County and to show people what we have to offer. And I think that's what we're doing with the show. And there is a lot to offer there. Megan, thanks very much for joining us. Carmine Waggoth. To Falter Road. I'm now joined in studio by Sporting Limerick journalist John Keogh. John, thanks for joining me. No problem, Kane. How are you getting on? Oh, good. Busy week. Busy yeah. week. Nice it's weekend of sports. Huge weekend of sports coming up, yeah. I think we're starting with GA, are we? I think we are. We are. We'll, we'll talk about the Senior Hurling Championship in Munster in yeah. a moment, but I just have to give pride of place this week to the Limerick footballers. What a result on the weekend. Unbelievable result, unbelievable performance. Um, 3-11 to, 10, to 1-10 victory over Tipperary in their own backyard. Very fancy Tipperary team as well, of course. And we were talking about this Tipperary team last week and yeah, how far they've they come along in the last few seasons. Yeah, I said All-Ireland semi-finalists in 2016 and after a bad league campaign which saw them relegated to Division 3 of the league, which, which kind of wasn't a true reflection of their ability as a panel. There were did a lot of injuries throughout that campaign. were very unlucky on the final day to go down. But from the the, ball, the minute the ball was thrown in in Thurles on Saturday, Limerick were on it. And we, we also mentioned last week that Limerick's league campaign, there was a lot of neg- positive, sorry, negative results, but a lot to be, to be pushing for. And, and the one thing Billy Lee was saying throughout that campaign and leading into the Tipperary game, we need a performance. We need to do it. It's great. Promise is great. And we were saying last week as well, there was time to stand up for Limerick. It was this, they, were, they were pinning everything on this. Yeah. And by God, did they show up. An unbelievable performance. Ian Corbett, 1-2 from centre-back. F- phenomenal showing that's earned him Footballer of the Week around the country. G- official GA Footballer of the Week. But the performance is everywhere. Sean O'Dea in the full-back line. Corbett, as I mentioned, Tommy Childs and Dara Tracy midfield. The forwards worked their behinds off as is a minimum now in football, but more importantly that they were a threat when the ball was turned over, and they turned over plenty of ball. Look, it got, it, it got a bit hairy. The, the hell Tipperary, 20, for the first 25 minutes of the second half, Tipperary didn't score. Big achievement for Limerick in that. It was a low-scoring second half anyway, but Limerick scored two goals and a point in that period. That was the winning of the game. Tip came back with um, a Michael Quinlivan goal, but Peter Nash sealed it at the end. And the joyous scenes, we were on the field getting interviews after the game. It was a brilliant feeling. To, to see this group who are playing second fiddle in Limerick GA there's no point saying they're not yeah. I mean it is, it's it's a minority sport within Limerick Gaelic football but the people that work so hard for the likes of Billy Lee obviously as manager but the players put in like that there isn't a huge reward for playing Gaelic football with Limerick you've seen a lot of players step away from Limerick that could still be playing in the last number of years you know we, it was just it was fantastic to be there Fantastic to interview everyone after the game and just fantastic for Limerick football. Now leads to Munster semi-final against Cork and Parky Rin in the June Bank holiday weekend. And they were very, very quick to point out this isn't, we're hoping this isn't the one-off. Yeah, and it's we not want, the best Cork team either. So. It's not. It's a Cork team that are that are in trouble really. Yeah. You know, so they, look, you're going down to Cork and Cork. That's never an easy prospect. So look, it, it's just enjoy this, but they were back to work yesterday. I'm sure they enjoyed themselves <laughs> Saturday night, Sunday, maybe a few on Monday, but it was fully back to work on this Tuesday night, and I'm I, sure. I, there mightn't be any trophies in sight, but it's a nice uh, b- 
building block, isn't it? It, it is. It's huge for Limerick football to get this win. They hadn't won, won a championship game in a few years. They hadn't won one in Munster since 2012. So, I mean, and to beat a Tipperary team, a very, like there was no one expecting Limerick to win this. Bar the people involved in Limerick and maybe a few people in the know as well. You know, it was great to see as well on the Sunday game when they, when they changed from the hurling to football coverage. It was the lead story in the football with Tomas O'Shane, Joe Bradley, Plamazing Limerick. It's not often you get to see that. When, when a Division 4 team beating a Division 2, now Division 3 team. But it was a huge win for Limerick. So we'll enjoy it and bask in that and get ready for Cork. And Again, nice words from Tomas O'Shea is saying a lot, you know. That's exactly, exactly. Yeah. So uh, looking to the hurling then. Yeah, Limerick get their Munster Hurling Championship campaign and All-Ireland defence effectively underway against Cork on Sunday in the LAT Gaelic Grounds. Cork, of course, suffered a fairly sobering defeat to Tipperary on Sunday. Just gone. Um, it's, 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 a bit of a, it's a bit of a weird one in the sense that we don't know what Cork are going to bring after watching that. You'd imagine there'd but be... Was a it a good tip performance or a bad Cork performance? I, I think very much a, com- a combination of both. You see, saw Cork having to rely a lot on Patrick Horgan's freeze. Now, Patrick Horgan's an outstanding hurler anyway. But it just seemed to be Patrick Horgan versus the tip defence at yeah. times. And a lot of that was Cork were running that tip and tip were fouling. So that's good forward play from Cork anyway. But you, you have to wonder, like Kieran Carey is writing about it this week in, in the paper, that he expected Cork, He looked it looked like in the league campaign, they found two or three more defenders, which is what they needed. They have a very dangerous forward attack. But this then same two or three forwards or two or three backs didn't really perform when was needed against tip. And Tipperary were very good, arguably, I'd argue they could have won by more even, so it's interesting to see how good were Tip, how bad were Cork, somewhere in the middle I think, but it's all, for Limerick's point of view, it's all about Sunday, like we were talking to John Kiley, out in the LAT Gaelic grounds yesterday evening, when he was doing his press conference before the game, you know, he's keeping his cards very close to the chest, that's no surprise <laughs> from John, um, he was asked about Cork. He said, we're focused on ourselves. That's usually the mantra for Limerick. And I believe it too. Limerick yeah. very much, they'll worry about a couple of things. They'll, they'll have a couple of things prepared for the opposition team. But Limerick focus on themselves. You know, like they're, they're favourites for the, to retain their All-Ireland. I mean, it's not often it happens. So that, that, that's, they have a huge achievement. But to me, watching Limerick in the league and by nowhere near, in my eyes, full tilt, this, the stroll through that league... Yeah. One blip, even which, see it which in was the funny enough against Cork. I mean, he was asked about that last night, that Limerick just didn't, weren't at the races yeah. that day. But you could so even see it in the final, they weren't even pushed. Out of second gear against Wallace, yeah. they weren't. So I believe, certainly, seeing these players and watching this team over the last number of years coming up together and from underage up to t- winning the 221 All-Irelands, winning the All-Ireland last year, winning the league this year, I just don't see... I'm not going to say they were going to win anything. I, I just don't certainly for Sunday. Well, you did say that in your prediction. I did. I did say that in my prediction. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not saying no. I, I think I do believe Limerick no, will. Yeah. It's have, in their hands, really, isn't it? If Limerick get to Croke Park, I don't see them be beaten. I'll yeah. put it to you that way. So I, I just think if, if Limerick hit their straps and start the game well, I think they could beat Cork and I think they could beat Cork convincingly. Now, in saying that, Limerick last year did it well to get a draw in Parky Cueve. Mm-hmm. A thunderous Saturday evening game, and Aaron Gillan was sent off very early. Great, great performance with 14 men. Cork will still feel very bitter about what happened in the All Ireland semi final. Anyone could argue that Cork threw that away and gave Limerick the opportunity to come back into the game. And Limerick still needed that ridiculous save from Nicky Quaid to force extra time. So, and Cork, as I've said, beat Limerick in the league this year. But 
I still believe Limerick, if they play well, will will have too much for. Connacht. And it's a Cork team that have played well in the Munster Championship the last few years. They have. They've won it the last few yeah, years. You know, exactly. come for three in yeah. a row. But there, there was for me watching Cork on Sunday again. I could be absolutely proved wrong. I could be coming in here next week in and saying to you, "Well, I got that." Yeah. Certainly wrong. But I just see Limerick. I was out in the Gaelic grounds yesterday. It's in pristine condition. Both stands are already sold out on Swat Wednesday. We're sold out since yesterday, early yesterday morning. So there's going to be a huge crowd, mm-hmm. 30,000 more expected. And you can't tell me that the majority of them aren't going to be from Limerick. Cork will bring a good travelling crowd. Limerick feed off that, that their support. I, I Look, it's, it's set up for a great day either yeah. way in the LIT Gaelic grounds on Sunday. And I'm hoping and praying. Well, once, Limerick, Limerick once the Limerick players all do their job, there's no reason why they shouldn't. You no, know? no reason. So uh, over to the rugby, John. Yeah, we're back to this yeah, this yeah. thing again. Uh, the Pro 14 semi-final between Munster and Leinster. As we've already mentioned, it's a huge weekend of sport involving teams around the Midwest area. Um, what do you say, Limerick? Or Limerick? Munster struggled to victory against Benetton in their quarter-final game. Leinster coming on the back of losing the Champions Cup final to Saracens. Munster are smarting from losing two of their coaches. You know, they, they, they gave Leinster a run for money in the RDS last year at this stage. Leinster were after winning the, the Champions Cup final the week before. We spoke to Johan Van Grand, Peter O'Mahony and Joey Carberry during the week. Carberry and Earls are set to be fit. Interesting one for Joey Carberry. It's, like, it's, it's an interprovincial derby between Munster and Leinster, the bitterest of rivals. There's subplots all over the place, but there's none bigger than Joey Carberry. Yeah, he took a few links the, the last time they played, didn't he? He did, and as he said himself during the week, that, that, that that's... That's a kudos for him, really, because yeah. I mean, it shows he's been targeted. He's doing something right. Exactly. So, look, as I said, there's loads of subplots. Joey returning to the RDS for me is the biggest one. If he's fit to play, he's trained fine for the last couple of weeks, as is Keith Earls. So I don't see any reason if both are fully, foot, fully fit, they'll start. There's no question of that. But it'll be interesting. You, you know, Munster, Munster have been hit by the, by the announcement of Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones's exits. I mean, it, for me, it's... It, it just it, it's a negative that both coaches, according to Peter O'Mahony, were saying, "Forget about what's going on with us. We've two games to concentrate mm-hmm. on." And by that, they meant beating Leinster and winning the final. It'll just be it's going to be very hard to beat Leinster the RDS on any given day. Yep. In a semi-final, Leinster smarting. It's going to be a huge task for Munster, but they'll fancy themselves to beat Leinster in Tolman Park at the first time they've done so in a while on December 29th. You know that. Like, like just going back to the pre-season start of the season every Munster player we talked at the press conference was saying we had that semi-final last year it was a bitter pill to swallow throughout the summer it was hanging over us the whole way through the summer that that's not good enough to lose the semi-final Munster want to win trophies everyone knows they're saying it for the last couple of seasons they have to get that extra step can they do it on, on Saturday afternoon only time will tell well on their day they could take any team I'd imagine and that's, that's the thing open like, there might be a hangover there from the Leinster loss on the weekend. Yeah, that can work both yeah, ways. Leinster exactly. would be even more committed to yeah. to pulling out all the stops to win a trophy themselves. It's it's never that simple that oh, they're smarting, they're going to be better. There could be a hangover. Munster could there could be a hangover from Munster's performance and what's going on within the camp. It's true. But we won't know again till half two <laughs> on Saturday afternoon. That's the beauty of in, in this sense, an eighty minute game, the hurling seventy minutes, it's two teams playing off against each other that Despite 
there's a bit between Munster and Leinster at their very, very highest. There's a bit. Leinster is still on top. But it's not as huge as results against Saracens v Munster. Saracens scored 20 unanswered points against Leinster in the Champions Cup final on Saturday. Look, Saracens and Leinster are the two top teams in Europe. Yeah. Then you have Munster, in my eyes, as third. But look, it's, it's Munster, Leinster. Who knows what happened? It'll, it'll be interesting. Exactly. Put it that way. And uh, coming back to the coaches, is there any word on a replacement there? there there's there. Johan van Graam was asked about that on Monday in UL. Still um, rumours flying around. But. There's rumours flying around. Um, I don't think Ron Nogara is an option. He's kind of put the kibosh on that in an interview he gave on Off the Ball during the week. Um, he seems to be, he's a few offers from France. He's an offer to stay at the Crusaders. He said he's making up his mind. I, I, I said this before, and this, I think I'm pretty sure I said it last week as well, that Ron Nogara will want head coaching experience before he ever if if he ever comes back yeah. to Munster and that is a big if if you're going to do what you want to do it right and he wants yeah. to do it his own way and I've no doubt he doesn't want to come into Munster as an assistant coach he wants to be the, the top yeah. dog and that's fair enough rumours wise no there's rumours about where Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones are going there's talk of London Irish there's talk of other places again we'll, we'll find that out as time goes on if they're going anywhere I don't know but I'm just saying that that's some of the rumours bandied about with coaches coming in as I said Johan Van Graham was talking about he said look we're we have a bit of time before everything starts. They have everything lined up for pre-season anyway with, between their strength and condition and medical teams. And that's what pre-season is really about, is getting physically ready rather than skillfully ready um, for the new season. So he said we have a bit of time, but they're, they're going to have to. It's going to be interesting to see what happens now because the initial thought was they were bringing an attacking coach to, to take some of the workload. Obviously, with Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones gone, you have two, you, you have two coaches to replace do you just bring in one coach, the same coach you were bringing in to help out anyway, and then another coach on top of that, whichever way you want to load it. Like Rob Howley is a name that was mentioned again. Johan Van Graan isn't giving us any insight into his his shortlist. Or but I suppose their main focus now is just the game on the weekend. Le- uh, Munster's main focus is Leinster. Yeah. After that, if they win that, their main focus will be on Glasgow or Ulster for the, for the Pro 14 final. After that is when, when this stuff will exactly. yeah. take care of itself, I suppose. Brilliant. And then uh, on to the soccer, John. Um, yeah, we, we've Limerick FC um, travelling to Cove on Friday night, but the main focus in the paper this week is on the Munster Junior Cup final between Pike and St. Michael's in Jackman Park this Saturday and Sunday. Um, Janesborough FC are representing Limerick in the Oscar trainer. Um, they, they're cho- they're, they were chosen or asked to represent the Lim- Limerick uh, this year. They've done brilliantly to get to the final and... Um, you know, it's a big weekend of junior soccer. Um, Pike and St. Michael's for me is the highlight. You can read yourself about yeah. what's going on with the Oscar trainer in Limerick in the paper, but Pike against St. Michael's. St. Michael's still waiting for the FAI Junior Cup final. That debacle took a new a, a new turn last week with Ashling. Never ending the debacle, it seems. Never ending the debacle, is right. And, and St. Michael's are the losers in this. They've yeah. been waiting around for this. I'm not sure. Well, they seem when. to be training for a game every week that's not coming. Yeah, it's very difficult for them and it's, it's been a very difficult process and it's made a mockery of the competition what's happened from the moment Sheriff objected to regional to regional bringing the arbitration to then that arbitration going nowhere from then Ashing and Akati finding out a couple of days where they're going the day of the game they were told it was going to be an AstroTurf pitch they were playing Sheriff on then like it was changed to a normal grass field and how, how are you supposed to prepare number one? Yeah. Then Sheriff win that game 1-0 and then the week of, which was the, the final was supposed to be on the Aviva Stadium last weekend, May the 11th, and Ashley throwing two objections to that. So it's just, it's farcical. 
you know, we'll see, but, but we'll move on past that. And we have Pike and St. Michael's. St. Michael's have been training for two finals for a while. They've been playing their domestic competition as well. Pike's third final in a row. Has all the potential to be a cracking final in Jackman Park. So keep an eye out for that. Nice one. And uh, coming back to Limerick FC, there's no updates on uh, Sean Connor or anything, is there? No, no, no. All gone quiet again since last week. The biggest thing, and we, we've mentioned it here, was the um, biggest thing that really broke during the week, and we've known about it for some time, was... Um, Again, another farce involving soccer was Sean Russell's um, yeah. injury. He went for an operation up in Santry to get a cruciate ligament operation and a check from Limerick FC to pay for that bounced. So Sean Russell gave a very uh, wide interview with Off the Ball um, last week, uh, highlighting what had happened, and he's been left with the bill for four and a half grand. So I, I, is there any much more any, any more you can say on how ridiculous that yeah. situation is as you said it's all off the field this year for some reason it's all off the field the it's, football it's, it's is no, decent it's no, it's, it's no yeah. surprise to see it off the field because it was all off the field last year yeah. Limerick did well to get to playoff position again the losers in this again are the, are the players you know Limerick lost to Drogheda 3-2 last week again they'd only 14 players and the, uh, that travelled to the game the three on the bench the three outfield players on the bench I should say Look, uh, I can't stress it enough. We've talked about it since day one and start of the season. The problems with Limerick FC are off the field. On the field, they're doing brilliantly to be in fifth in the position yeah. with everything that's gone off the field. Tammy Barrett's doing a superb job. The players are doing a superb job. But a player gets injured a few weeks ago against Cove. A very serious, crucial ligament injury. It's contracted by the club. The club have to stump up the money for that. And it hasn't happened. And a lot Frank, of these players are amateur. They're, they're all semi-pro yeah. this year. Limerick don't have any fully professional players. Yeah. So, I mean, where, where do you go is, yeah. is what I'd ask. I mean, uh, all, all the sound, there's nothing coming out from Limerick FC. They don't have, in effect, a public relations officer. They, they were looking for volunteers for that at the start of the season. Yeah. There's no talk from Pat O'Sullivan, the owner of the club and chairman. There's talk, like there's investments here going, there's investments there coming in. Nothing's happened. The only thing that has happened is that the dailies have withdrawn their sponsorship. That's for sure happened. Yep. So, I mean, Limerick are going, to, going down to Cove on Friday night, and, and you're just going, okay, A, how many fit players will they have? They have a couple of suspensions back in Sean McSweeney and Jason Hughes are back from suspension, but they have injury issues then as well. Yep. So this is the the crux of the situation for that Tommy Barrett has. I and this is a different Limerick team to that played Cove already. You know they they yeah, beat Cove. They beat Cove fairly so. fairly well with Kieran Hanlon and Conor Ellis causing untold yeah. damage up front. Um, but to me, as great as things are on the field, it's masking what's happening off exactly. the field. It's, for any person interested in soccer in Limerick and outside of junior soccer, there's a a big big base of junior soccer people involved. But in in in, in local soccer, but what's happening with the senior team in in the county, in city and county, it's just, it's laughable. They're the yeah. laughing stock. And I'm, I'm <laughs> when you're the laughing stock of the FAI at the moment, but everything that's going on with the FAI, it's a fairly damning indictment in my eyes. So, I mean, the FAI is a laughing stock. It's happening with the junior, the FAI Junior Cup, their marquee junior competition, laughing stock. Limerick FC, laughing stock. Tells you pretty much all you need to know about soccer in this country, I suppose, at the moment. John? Online as well, I saw some cricket news. It's nice yeah. to see Sport and Limerick focus on the minority sports as well. Yeah, we do, of course. Yeah, any minority sport, yeah. we're more than willing to to highlight that. Yeah, to play Cork County, the current Munster champions, at the weekend, and 
a very very good bowling performance got got Cork out fairly handy but um, a total of 102 uh, from their own batting performance was fairly by their own admission not great big chance to beat Cork they're out again this weekend but you, you get a chance an opportunity to beat the champions on your own grounds out in there you need to take them chances if you have any hope to be stepping up but they've what one out of three games decent enough start they'll be looking to win their next game brilliant John, thanks very much for joining us and for more minority sports and all the other sports. All the other sports. Uh, our sports content is brought to you in association with Sporting Limerick. There's more sports news, analysis, video, and podcasts available online. John, sound. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ken. Enjoy this weekend's games. You too. This week's podcast is brought to you by Cahardavon and District Credit Union. It's now Limerick District Credit Union. Same people, same location, same great service. Limerick and District Credit Union is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. I'm now joined by Eric Fitzgerald, our entertainment hey editor. How's it Eric, going? how are you getting on? Pretty good now, pretty good. So we, got, we got into a few bits in the paper this week. I uh, got to chat with uh, Faircourt Convention, and uh, they are a legendary band. Uh, started in 1967, and they are um, a kind of folk rock band. Their seminal album, uh, Legion Leaf, was kind of voted by BBC Radio 2 as the best folk album in the UK of all time. So they are serious business. Uh, so I got to talk uh, with David Pegg, uh, who's uh, just written a autobiography called Off the Peg, and uh, he's a real raconteur, telling me great stories about 50 years of Fairport Convention and their adventures. He also played with Jethro Tull for about 50 years, and he, with um, R- Richard Thompson, he played um, in the legendary List of Varna Folk Festival and told me some great yarns about uh, m- misadventures back in the List of Varna back in the day with uh, the legendary John Martin, who managed to lose a thousand five hundred pounds sterling after doing a gig we tell the whole story here on page 71 so peggy is uh, playing his bass player with the fairport convention and after 50 years they're still going and they're coming to the uch uh, on wednesday may 22nd and uh, the the guys our own irish band the four of us they are the support act uh, so they're bringing some of the the stuff that they're really famous for and also they're still releasing uh, records and uh, so bringing some new stuff as well uh, so it should be a legendary gig from an absolute legendary band from from a an big era change from the yeah. Lisbon Varna festival as well I d- well I think it'd be a little <laughs> more polished affair for them like you know they, they had the, the he was telling me the last time they played Lisbon Varna which was in the mid 70s they actually had to share rooms with the audience because the audience managed to break into their uh, <laughs> bedrooms in the local hotel but uh, and he He's, he's a real funny guy and I'd say it's going to be a great show and uh, the only major headline we have for this week is that uh, Tip Classical have let us know that they have a few brand new acts added on to their bill like, so they were the this is the throwback so festival the exactly style. big sensation yeah. last year and uh, they sold out their two nights and uh, again they're bringing back a couple of the acts that we that were really good last year they're bringing back the Stunning and the Frank and the Walters but this time around they're now adding uh, Horselips who are an uh, amazing 70s band and uh, anyone put a fan of Italian 90 will be familiar with Horselips exactly well, they'll know. all know Derek Doom and uh, you put the uh, Irish concert orchestra behind that and 
let's say it's going to be uh, something sensational altogether. Also added to the bill is Tin Lizzy, Shane McGowan from the Pogues, and uh, and then our own favourite salt is the paying therapy, Wendy James, uh, the fat lady sings, all this stuff, and it's uh, tickets are on sale and uh, you just go to tipclassical.com 159 euro for a weekend ticket and uh, I think it's going to be a great festival over two days uh, this year 20th and 21st of September and I see RT2FM are celebrating a big milestone yeah they've just announced it that uh, Mickey Mack and Will Leahy um, they are going to be celebrating 40 years of RT Radio 2 FM it came on air on the 31st of May 1979 uh, with with a, a uh, Boomtown Rats song and uh, yeah they've been going strong ever since but uh, I'll have a chat with uh, Mickey and Will in the next week or two and we'll just flesh out like you know what the landscape of uh, radio was like before they actually came along so they have loads to celebrate and it happens to coincide with Madness playing in the Docklands so after Madness are in the Docklands uh, it's a takeover by two FM jocks uh, in Dolan's Warehouse. I heard you're playing at this as well, aren't you? There's a crowd called mm-hmm. Drums. Yeah, Dex and Drums playing as well. Yeah, they've got in on the act. Yeah, we're the young kids this time around <laughs> for a change. So yeah, it should be a great old party. And uh, we'll we'll get into more of that in the next week or two. And we've loads of listings as well then. Uh, All for, available. For the weekend that's coming. Uh, yeah, plenty of stuff. There's a, a, an awful lot of tribute yeah. stuff. Uh, anything from uh, George Michael tributes to Luke Kelly uh, to Motorhead. Everyone's looked after you know exactly. so what more can see you, you want? out over the weekend hopefully so eric thanks for joining us thanks Keen. all right see you look have a good one this week's podcast is brought to you by limerick and district credit union join limerick and district credit union today and find out about all the great services available from the, your credit union limerick and district credit union is regulated by the central bank of ireland joining me in studio now is rose rush our arts editor rose how are you today good evening Keen. i'm truly in good form and thank you that's good to hear very, very busy weekend coming up for the arts. Keen, forget about the weekend. We we pop into it straight away. On Thursday alone, we have three performances to talk about, okay? So, reader, take up a pen in your hand if you're interested in supporting arts in Limerick City and County because there is a lot going on. So this week, I'm just going to go straight into it in date order and time order. Sounds good to me, Rose. Thursday, um, that's tomorrow, folks. Lamprogue Theatre working hand in glove in concert with uh, the Leader Programme and with um, County Limerick Youth Theatre. They are doing, they have been doing four centenary plays. It's been a week long event, I think, hasn't it? Exactly, exactly. And 2019, 100 years after the Irish Volunteers, four were killed um, by the British government who had governance of Ireland at the time. Their crimes are debated. Uh, This is a revivalist play looking back on how these very young men, teenagers and men of 20, had to go on the run for the killing of two RIC constables. Um, There's a claim here that they were wrongly accused. Um, I'd like you to go and see the plays and work out for yourself because all the texts written by the performances are written by two writers and they're based on factual research and the events recorded in history and the mortuary cards as well, you can say. And Lamprogue are usually involved in a venue, site-specific place. Is this site-specific as well? Spot on, spot on. So make your way to Knocklong Community Centre, Thursday, May 16, for 6.30pm. This is going to be play number four in the Big Four. 
the four standing for the these four Irish volunteer heroes, Sean Tracy, Dan Breen, Seamus Robinson and Sean Hogan, familiar names to us. Okay. Um, the first play Fiona Quinn tells us the escape. It's actually an eight kilometer promenade theater performances that invites the audience to follow the four as wounded shot in the long back and arm. They flee from Naklong train station. Uh, that's followed on the night of May 19th, moving on to Sunday night at 1 p.m. Sorry, Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. Again from Naklong Community Centre. The trial is the fourth play in this book of four plays. It highlights the injustice of the arrest and execution of Paddy Maher, an innocent man hung by the British in retribution, sorry, in retribution, obviously, for the rescue of Sean Hogan from Naklong train station. So as I said, it's based on factual research, uh, based on the court transcripts of the trial and accounts from Paddy Maher's descendants. Um, all information, uh, sorry, all performances are written by Rachel Rachel Jones and David Tynan. So uh, what else is going on in the arts uh, this week, Rose? Moving to Thursday night and a conventional venue, Bell Table, 8 o'clock on O'Connell Street. We have a play called Killing Stella. It's written and adapted from the novella of the same title by Austrian woman Maria Hassefer. I'm sure my pronunciation is incorrect. And it's about the death of a teenage babysitter, mature, mature teenager, age 19, taken in good faith into a household, maybe in Austria. And sometime later, Stella is dead. However, this is a revision of the events and uh, it seems there was an entanglement. Uh, the girl is pregnant at the time of her death and walking away from the scene of the funeral, uh, the troubled wife of the household is left with her feelings of despair, despair at what she hasn't done, she herself as witness to and party to this household in which a young woman winds up dead. It's supposed to be fantastic stuff. Sounds like a heavy topic as well. It is a heavy topic, but it's done with beautiful theatrics. Uh, Bernadette Cronin is, um, she's a thrilling performer and she's accompanied on stage atmospherically by a cellist, Ima Reedy. So whilst it's a very portable show, they can move around the country, they can stage it without much money expect all the bells and whistle, whistles of a, of a wonderful production. It's staged first uh, with Gatecrash um, Theatre Company in the Everyman where it was truly well received and now it's beginning, Gatecrash is taking it around the country. And now it's in the Bell Table in Limerick. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's uh, Thursday seems to be the busiest day. Busiest day. Yeah. Now please note with Lamprogue Theatre they begin on Thursday but they close the book on Sunday. On Sunday. Thanks again. And uh, where else are we going to for okay. shows this weekend, Rose. More on Sunday, another professional venue, University Concert Hall. It's the concert production, so it's not the fully costumed movie on the stage opera, but it's going to be a beautiful concert uh, rendition of Mozart's The Magic Flute. So we have American soprano, Audrey Luna, leading in concert, uh, in a concert production for The Magic Flute. This takes place on Sunday night at 8 p.m., uh, Irish Chamber Orchestra are in collaboration with Irish National Opera and this is Mozart's most popular popular opera ever. It's going to be a fantastically uplifting production 
and it's got a huge cast. Uh, Anna Devon, Rachel Croach, names like that that are very familiar with us. So look forward to a very, very enjoyable production and there. A lot of the music will be familiar to people as well. I, I won't try sing it, but I'm sure <laughs> when, when they hear them, they'll know the songs. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Rose, thanks very much for joining us today. All the arts news is available in this week's paper and online at limerickpost.ie. Rose. Thanks a million, Keen, for everything. Thank you. So once again, this week's podcast is brought to you by Limerick and District Credit Union. Remember, Limerick and District Credit Union has five offices throughout Limerick, so join today and avail of all the great services. Limerick and District Credit Union is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. So this has been the Limerick Post News Roundup. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt. I'd like to thank Bernie English for joining me today, Joanna Leahy, arts editor Rose Rush, entertainment editor Eric Fitzgerald, host of the Limerick Post show, Megan Scully, and John Keogh of Sporting Limerick. As always, for more news, business, sports, entertainment, arts, pets, home and living news, visit limerickpost.ie or following the hashtag keepinglimerickposted. We really are keeping Limerick posted.